Words from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Ye kazanti priya lucrisa kata priya dusti kabala prisonembria dusti kabanambo zuda balambriamo ninkaya dusti nambali priya dusti kaboshi kalabre dusti kebahaya nombre da bushti kmam ninki sarabris tu kudi breda bushti kabala krisi katabri do bushti kabala kristendamam yindala krisa katabri da bush Shikatabri rastamanambo stendabo zentebo yentalabri dabostem. Walk in us, O oh God, walk in us, that we may be the kind of people you want us to be upon the earth. Take us past everything we've known, every new day, infusing us the very, the very life of God, that we will be walking epistles of your grace and your glory. Save us, O oh God, from the mediocre life. Elevate us, O oh God, from the fatality of the life that men see, O oh God. And plant us truly in your word, in, in the fullness of your life, in the life that your son came to give his life for. That we now will be connected to heaven, that we now will be alive in you, that we now will rise up above doing church, above doing religion, O oh God, and come to the place where our God lives. Father, prepare us, O oh God, as vessels, eternal vessels that oscillate beyond this time, O oh God, into the timeless future of God. My God, raise us up beyond this level oh God beyond the place where we dwell today father this bed is not long enough to contain oh God verily this blanket is not long enough to cover us oh God we shiver in the cold as our spirit man breaks with expectation oh God of your glory take us oh God beyond ourselves and plant your truth plant your truth plant your word plant your life that we may live indeed. Give us life that we may live indeed. The very hairs of your inheritance upon the earth. That's what you delight to make of us. And we worship you, our God. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. And everyone said a big amen. amen. Morning, everyone. You all come to the hills this morning. God bless you. Reach out to somebody's hands and squeeze their hands and say, sit to them, we love you, we're happy you're here. Yeah. It's good to see you, it's good to see you. Welcome to church, welcome to church. That was Seal, Seal Soul. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm so blessed by her ministry personally. And I'm working closely with her. She's emerging. <laughs> She's a star. And a star for God. So special. Her heart feels the Holy Spirit. I can see how it pulsates. You can tell from the rhythm in her voice that God is drawing her out. We love you. We appreciate you. Receive your ministry. Thank you so much. <laughs> this morning we're going to be sharing on doing life. What is life? 
we all live it but what is life um please can you help me turn to genesis chapter 47 let's all turn to genesis 47 it would be nice if you bring your own bible so will you read for us verse 1 to 10 Genesis 47, 1 to 10. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flock and their herd, and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and all our fathers and they said to pharaoh we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks for the famine is severe in the land of canaan now therefore please let your servants dwell in the land of goshen then pharaoh spoke to joseph and said your father and your brothers have come to you the land of egypt is before you have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, let them make them chief headmen over my life flock. Verse 7. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of my life of my fathers in the days of my pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Okay, so we want to talk about doing life, but we want to take our, our allegory from the story of Joseph, of Jacob. So we want to take an example from the life of Jacob right so we want to talk about doing life what does what does it mean to do life how do we do life what's that kind of life that is worth living what makes our lives count what makes your life meaningful you're on earth do you feel a sense of fulfillment you feel like you're living the reason why you came on earth so it's not just enough to say you're a Christian, but you feel fulfillment. What is life? What is living really about? It's actually one of the most fundamental questions you can ask. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to live and not know why? Wouldn't it be a tragedy that you went through life, at the end of your life, you like ask, what is this? And that's why we, we go into the example of the Bible and take a look at this man, Jacob, was a patriarch. He lived his entire life in the open glare of the Bible. Actually, Abraham, we don't know much about Abraham until God called him. You remember, Abraham was already an adult by the time God called him. By the time Abraham broke out on the scene, he was already 75 years old. What did he do from 1 to 75? Do you understand? So Abraham was actually not that. So we only learned of him when God called him and started to work with him. Isaac also was also good, but the man Jacob, there's a lot of information in the Bible about him. So we can see when he was born, we can see how he grew, we can understand. So we can take an allegory from Jacob, which, which is actually a type of Christ. Jacob 
was actually the type of Christ. And God actually took Jacob, smashed him on the ground, and he became 12 tribes because God was impatient with, with the whole thing of taking one man, Abraham, doing with him, and Abraham dying, he takes Isaac, finish with him. But then after, at the time of Jacob, God says, no, I want more than one. And he made Jacob into 12 tribes. So we can go through a, a little story about Jacob. Let's just spend the next two, three minutes going through Jacob's life. This story we read, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you now? And he says, I am 130 years old. This was when he arrived in Egypt. We know the story about Joseph and how Joseph was sold by his brothers. And Joseph walked in Potiphar's house from prison and then to the palace. And at that time, this was already the time of famine. The famine grew. And Jacob carried his family and moved to Egypt. And when they arrived in Egypt, was the, when this conversation we read today in Genesis chapter uh, 47 happened. And here, the story began that Jacob was now looking at his life and having a big picture view of what his life had amounted to. At 130 years, his strongest years were behind him. And he was actually a lot more melancholic about what life was. Let's look at his life. He was 130, then he came to Egypt. He lived 17 more years, altogether 147 years, and he died. Remember the story of the Bethright. How many of you know the story of the Bethright? How he stole the Bethright from his brother and ran away? Yeah. You remember? Who doesn't know that story? Then he fell in love with a lady called Rachel. And he walked seven years to get Rachel, but he got Leah instead. And the father-in-law said to him, if you want Rachel, another seven years. I don't know how many young bachelors here would like to walk 14 years to get a wife. Some of you, even three months, if they don't say yes. <laughs> you don't say yes. We, we, the ladies are saying it's one week. <laughs> like, the father in law, this man was in love. But kind of love. I don't know how many of you have been in love before, but love is painful, I have to admit. But when I was in love, That, that, that's, that's, that doesn't sound right. Okay, let <laughs> I say when I was in puppy love, like uh, uh, early days. So, uh, she's outside. Please, guys, don't tell her. You're right. <laughs> One day she was in, another day she was not in. Like, she was in love again. I'm like, what kind of wahala is this? So we're doing this game for like seven years. Actually, we dated for seven years. One time we had a relationship for six months. After that, she pack it up. I think she had no validation in her world. Nobody liked me in her world. Right? Not a single person. Yeah. She's actually quite a strong woman for accepting this scallywag that I am. I was pretty bad then. If I'm this bad now, you can imagine how bad I was then. <laughs> Some days I lie down in physical pain. Pain, like pain from the crown of my head. Love is painful though. 
should really love someone and they don't say yes you feel that pain some of you don't know because you've never been in love or what you have is this situation not really love he worked for 14 years for the love of his life rachel was the biggest albatross over jacob's life cheated by his master laban his father-in-law was also his business partner constantly the man kept changing the goalposts of their business deals but god blessed him by the time he was leaving he was so afraid because then remember he had stolen the birthright from his brother his son it was time to go back home so here's a little old story this is him on this side you can see esau esau was definitely a warrior kind of guy with his men look at his own family sheep prosperity camels all types of things he had become so prospered the night before esau he was so afraid because it was time to go back and face his fears he was so afraid so he went and prayed to god that night and that night god sent an angel that's when in genesis chapter 32 he wrestled with the angel he fought with the angel he said i won't let you go unless you bless me it was like a fight for life and imagine that you're now going to face all the bad things that you've ever done that you may die you may be threatened it may not end well so that night was a big battle for him and he fought and fought and fought and that was the day god actually changed his name the bible says the end of the fight god touched a hollow of his tie and dislocated his main leg and from that day he leaned on the staff was walking with a crutch from the day god touched him he started walking with a crutch he never loved leah he had many children by leah but he never loved her all he loved was rachel so leah suffered from the never loved woman syndrome that's another thing to talk about right the the woman called leah the woman who was never loved the woman scorned must have been painful and i'm and i'm sure i don't know but it, they, they talk about loneliness before marriage but nothing compares to loneliness within marriage it's, it's extremely devastating that was the woman leah so you see you learn a lot about life from the life of jacob and Rachel, who was really loved, died when Benjamin was being born. So think about this man who, who lost his son, who he may love, Joseph. The, Joseph was the son of his first wife, of his loved wife, right? And he lost him. He lost him to wild beasts. That's what his brothers told him. Like, okay, something had eaten up this guy. Think about the number of tragedies this guy went through. His lip was dislocated. He never married the woman he wanted. He went to his father's-in-law's house to work for them. Trouble every day. Trouble everywhere. He stole his brother's bed right. He was just a rascal kind of man. Jacob represented a troubled life. Called by God, but the life still had trouble. Known by God, accepted in heaven, but the life was still full of problems. His life had so many challenges. So much. Now he was standing before Pharaoh and Pharaoh asked him, Sir, how old are you? He couldn't even answer 130. He said, My years have been few and full of trouble. My years have been full and full of much less than the years of my father's. 
Jacob knew something. Even though he lived in trouble, he knew he was a patriarch. Egypt was a necessity. He never rejoiced to go to Egypt. He never was happy to... Do you know, he never was happy that there was money in Egypt. Never was happy that his son was a prince in Egypt. Never was happy that he was never excited. He was only happy to see his son, to be honest. He knew he never rejoiced about Egypt. Even when he stood before the biggest king, life had happened. Before Pharaoh, if you read on in that chapter 47, he blessed Pharaoh. He knew who he was as a patriarch. At this time, a little bit, his life view was more realistic or cynical. Know those people who are cynical, they don't believe that much anymore. That's the kind of person that Jacob had become. You know. He now said to Joseph at the time when he was about to die, in verse 29 to 31, he said to Joseph, please, can we read verse 29 of chapter 47 to 31? Verse 29. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand on my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt. Let me lay with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you've said. So he had an eye for going back home. He knew that he wasn't going to go back home. Do you know, I don't know how it feels like to know that you'll not go back to the land of promise and that God's promise will not be done in your lifetime. That must not be... I don't know how that will feel. Do you guys understand? That must feel one kind of way. To know that the promise of God is now down to your children. is no more for you. So he got his son Joseph to promise him, when I die, don't bury me here. Take my body to the promised land. At that time, there was only one more thing important to him. It was legacy. He called Joseph to bring his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And then, what strikes you about this photo? You see how he crossed the hands? So, this is Manasseh. Manasseh is the older son. That is Ephraim. So, Joseph arranged them such a way that his right hand will be on Manasseh. His left hand will be on Ephraim. And the patriarch, who couldn't even see at that time, his eyes were very old, he crossed his hands and said, this is what the Lord chose. The Lord chose Ephraim over Manasseh. So if you read Hosea chapter 10, Hosea chapter 11, that says, when Ephraim was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. This too became engrafted among the 12 tribes of Israel. But Ephraim was always ahead of Manasseh because of the blessing of the patriarch. So weird. So weird. But some of you understand this, even in your families, you may not be the first, but you just have the oil of God on you. 
you have the oil of God on you, you have the blessing of God on you. So, he added them to his natural lineage. Genesis chapter 48, verse 21 to 22. Then Jacob said to Joseph, Look, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to Canaan, the land of your ancestors. And beyond what I've given your brothers, I'm giving you an extra portion of the land I took from the Amorites with the sword and with bow. Life is about inheritance. Say, life is about inheritance. Say it again. Life is about inheritance. What kind of inheritance are we talking about? Is it money? Is it land? In this particular case, there was the inclusion of land. But land was not the main inheritance. The inheritance was the patriarchy, was the calling of God, was the blessing of God. And because Jacob had the blessing of God, he could whatever he did, he was going to be blessed. Wherever he was, he was going to be blessed. Why? Because he had what was called the blessing or the inheritance. The inheritance. I read a place where there was a particular king who has many sons. He gave some land. He gave some houses. He gave some chariots. He gave some estates. But to the firstborn, he gave the kingdom. What do you think? Like, if I'm the king, do I still need, do you understand? Like, I live above lands and cars and houses. Do you have an inheritance? Life is about inheritance. It's about something which God passes like a button from generation to generation. Do you have life? Do you know life? Jacob came from the lineage of the patriarchs, the people who worshipped God. And through them, God was going to be manifested in the earth. Through them, God was going to be revealed among all men. Through the life of Jacob, heaven's agenda for the earth was going to unfold. That is the real inheritance. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that your inheritance is not in monetary gain. It's not in houses and lands. But what you have is bigger than them. So you can have them too. So we're not saying take a vow to poverty. Not necessarily. God controls the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns them all. But if God loves you a lot, he will give you more than money. He will give you a kingdom. He will give you something that resonates in your spirit. He will give you something that boils over from the inside of you. He will give you a grace, a power, a knowing of God that is beyond the ordinary. Something in your spirit will constantly cry out to God. Like I belong to Yahweh. I am not of the kingdoms of this world. I'm bigger than here. Regardless of whether the fig tree does not blossom, I will glory in God. Even though I don't have money, I know I have something. Oh, even though we are poor, yet we make many people rich. Even when I'm sick, then I'm strong. Even when I'm broken, then I have life. Even when I'm crushed down, I'm pressed down. Yet, I give many people standing and strength and grace from God. Because I have something bigger and better than money. Inheritance. That is life. Inheritance is life. It's an imputed grace from God. 
It's an imputed thing from the presence of God that you have in your life. That when people are arguing, you can't even argue. You just know. When people are saying they are more cool, you can't even say anything. You just know that your own is not about being cool. But you're the real deal. Say, I am the real deal. Oh, some of you don't believe. Say, I am the real deal. <laughs> if you have it from God, something on your inside will constantly resonate. Even when you have trouble, something will say, man, but you can be joyful now. You can, you can, you can rise up about this. This is going to pass. This is going to pass. This is not the end of you. The last of you has not been heard. You can't die on song. Why, why, why are you rolling over and playing that? Rise up, my friend. Something on your inside will say, rise up. You have life. You have life. You have life. Life is bigger than things. Life is bigger than places. Life is bigger than names and authorities of earth. Life flows. Oh, I posted something on Facebook that caused a few people to worry. That's three days ago. <laughs> something about the fatalistic view of life. Let's see. Do I have it here? Yeah. Let's see what psychology thinks life is. First, you ready? <laughs> First, the technical definition. Life is self-organizing chemistry, which refuses itself and passes its evolved characteristics encoded in DNA. In thermodynamic terms, it has the ability to reduce local entropy or disorganization, thus locally contravening the third law of thermodynamics. <laughs> but what is life really, if any, what's life really about, if anything? Two possibilities are life is either a meaningless accident arising from the laws of physics, operating in a meaningless universe, or it's a step in a planned experiment. I say step because this cannot be the end. The current state of life is yet too unstable and, and undeveloped for it to be the end. And I say experiment because the evolutionary nature of life suggests that its future is not known. If therefore the universe itself has a purpose, it seems most likely to be to, be to explore what the outcome of the evolutionary experiment will be. But what will be the outcome? If as many physicists now believe the universe is only information, then harnessing all the sources of the universe in one giant evolutionary process could possibly provide a useful outcome for the species clever enough to create the universe in the first place. On this interpretation, life will ultimately organize all the physical resources of the universe into a single self-conscious intelligence, which in turn will be able to interact with its creators. What does that tell you? <laughs> we don't know what life is. This is the journal of psychology, and this is the people who, who are the foundation of therapists. That everybody says, don't talk to pastors if you're depressed, talk to therapists. They say they don't know what life is. Why do you want to talk to people who don't know what life is about life? We don't know where life came from. And I have 10 of this article, psychology.org. Google it, check it. They don't know what life is about. At best, life is an accident, a meaningless accident arising from the law of physics. So, if you are sad, we increase dopamine. If you are sad, we inject you with something with laughing gas. 
And if you're like Michael Jackson, we keep injecting you. After a while, you want more. You say, give me more. You say, laughing gas is going to kill you. Just give me. Why did you give Michael Jackson so much laughing gas and he died? Yes, you guys don't get my jokes, do <laughs> Life is a connection to a life source. To disconnect from that place where life comes from is to die. John chapter 15 says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall have. <laughs> Woo! How different is that from psychology.org? How different is that? How powerful is that what God wants us to understand about who he is and what he does in us? connect me you have life let the flow happen between me and you let the inheritance from the father pass on to the child let the grace that is in god come into you and you have life everything else is meaningless shadow and a chasing of the wind if the ember rises up to the sky away from the fire it will flicker and die but if that ember dances a lot Within the flames, it will stay hot. And if the Christians in pride rises high like the ember, he too will die. The church is there to warm and inspire, so embers stay within the fire. My goodness, what a poem. <laughs> Man, when, I, when sometimes God is speaking to me, like I'm jumping in my room, like, wow, like this is good. Like it's so good, so good. Like. <laughs> You guys have not gotten excited about God. What excites you? There's a story of Okeke I tell. Okeke was a construction worker in an Italian construction company. So, nothing against Italians. But after work, they party hard and drink a lot. So they come and meet Okeke. Okeke, let's go out for drink. Oh, no, no, you guys just go ahead. I still have some work. Let me finish. When I finish, some other this is, oh, no, 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 let me run home. My wife just discovered that OKK was skiving their social activities, right? The next time they go out for a conference and they all get chicks, right? They give OKK one. OKK, that woman is for you. Oh, so OKK, no, 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 I'm not. I'm just not in that frame of mind right now. Because he didn't want to say to them, like, guys, I don't do drinks. I don't do girls, right? So one day, the Italian guy who loved how Okeke was came and met him. Okeke, Okeke, how do you get on? Okeke, you don't drink. You don't dance. You don't party. You don't do girls. So how, Okeke, how do you get on? <laughs> do you know the world defines what life is in particularly some terms? The kind of car you have. The kind of area in town you live. The kind of ladies you roll with for men. The kind of guys you hang with. The kind of boats you have on the... Or yachts or stuff. Well, some yachts are really nice though. 
Some yachts are really nice, like I almost started selling Sunseeker yachts in, at some point in Nigeria. Those yachts are like some of them 180 meters long, like like a full football field, fantastic gadgets. So it's a three-story building, high bedrooms, music, all that. But a tragedy. Every five years, you have to change everything inside of it. And it costs 1.5 million pounds. Do you understand? So what is that? When you have to keep changing to be on. So you're now on this race where for you to be on and happy, you have to really keep upping the game for yourself. It doesn't satisfy for long. Meanwhile, this says, stay in the fire, you'll be hot. Hang around God's people, you'll be hot. Take yourself so pridefully out from it, like, oh, churches, people are dirty. I don't do business with church people. I don't hang out with church people. And then you, you lift up yourself and die. Church is there to warm and inspire. So Ember, stay. And the church is not a building. I hope you know that in heaven, heaven knows the church of God. The Bible says the Lord knows those who are his. Which means if you sit inside the church here, not all of you may belong to God. God will know who is his. Sorry, I'm very direct like that, right? God will know number five, number 20, number, number 17, number 18. You're, you're in my church. The rest of you, I don't know you guys. Like. The Bible says God knows those who are his. He knows them. He knows your heart. He knows where your heart falls. He knows, he understands it. So, here are the things that life is not. What is FOMO? Fear of missing out. Yeah. So today, envy and jealousy is the reason why some people want to do some things. Just the fear of missing out. Everybody's buying this kind of shirt. I don't have it. Understand everybody's buying this kind of car, like ah, it's your car. Ah, ah, your car. You're packing it down at the junction before <laughs> before you come among us, like fear of missing out. So everybody's driver comes to drop them, you come with your own car. They're like everybody look at your friends, like ah, Pastor Fred, Pastor Fred. He's the man of God, he doesn't know about the things of the world. <laughs> They're just mocking. <laughs> the, new one, the next one is self-love. The comfort-driven existence. The Bible says, people are saying, oh, uh, something like, maybe you should go and love yourself. Something like that, right? People are saying that, oh, what you need now is self-love. You have to love yourself first. If you don't love yourself, you can't love others. Can I tell you, that's, that's a whole bunch of baloney. It's a lie. Because the Bible says, no man yet hated himself. In fact, the people who are doing self-harm, they love themselves too much. They can't be what they want to be. As a result, they are disappointed that they can't be what they want to be. It's extreme love for self that is harming them. No man yet hates himself. So this whole self-love move, forget it. Don't be posting those things and tweeting about it. It's nothing. It's rubbish. Self-love is nothing. You love yourself already. You love yourself already. The Bible says, greater love has no man has, than this, that a man should lay down his life 
for his friends. You see the things God honor? Very different from the things we honor. YOLO. You only live once. It's not a fake paradigm. Of course the Bible says appointed unto man wants to die. But after this, the judgment. That's very different from this. You only live once. This says, don't worry about the judgment. Don't worry about anything. Nothing's going to happen after that. We come from nothing. We exist like air. We are from the earth. When we die, we're going to go back to the earth. We'll go back to the air. Nothing. I attended a funeral ceremony organized by the state in the UK. It's called civil burial ceremony. No mention of God. They don't believe in God. So think about the fatality of someone who doesn't know he's going anywhere. So the officer of the state rose, rose up and said, You've come here, you've lived among us, you loved your families, you made a good garden, but now it's all over. You go up like the wind, you go like smoke, you go. You came from nothing, you're going to nothing. You, you existed before nowhere, now you're going to exist in nowhere. The Bible says, if it's only in this world we have hope, we have all men most miserable. You can see scriptures. Next is the pursuit of happiness. How we chase happiness and chase it and chase it and chase it and never arrive. So today, people have replaced God with lifestyle. As the next movie. What's the next trip? What's the next thing to do? Like this summer now, some people don't have money to go for a trip. If you see the sadness in their home, man. Come on, guys. If you have money, go. But if you don't have money, chill out. Come, let's worship God. You know me, I don't, I don't used to worry about anything. <laughs> let's burn hot for God. Let's go to the streets and let's preach for Jesus. Let's go to Massive Children's Hospital. Let's stand up. Raise some children. Let's go to the orphanages. Let's, let's go to these highways and byways and do some great stuff for God. Money won't stop you. Money won't stop you. Be inspired by the Spirit of God. And when you have money, you go. When you have money, you go. Go! Yeah? Go! Like, it's nothing, right? Don't let it define you and control your joy or your sorrow. This is the things that the Bible says the world puts their emphasis on and then pierce their souls. You don't only live once. After that comes the judgment. We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And every one of us shall give account of his works before God. It's a lie. This is a lie. And this is a lie. It's a whole bunch of rubbish that the world carries as its paradigm. The Bible says, for you know that the things that are very honored among men are despised by God. So I'm sorry if I crush, if I step on your toes, but I have to. I'm not sorry, actually. <laughs> Life is a man. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this eternal life is in his son. Read after me this place. One to go. Whoever has the son has life. One more time. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the God's son does not have life. What you have is death at work in you without God. 
Without God, you think like you know it, you feel like you're strong, you feel like you know where you're going. No, you don't. You don't. You have death walking in you. When you have the Son of God, when you have a connection to heaven, when you abide in God, life begins to bow out of you. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you want life, get into the Son. If you want life, get into the Son. If you want life, get into the Son. Now, this is time for you to preach to your neighbor. Say, neighbor, I'm going to preach to you. If they are frowning, if they are frowning, just tell them, I'm warning you, don't frown. <laughs> Say, neighbor, I'm going to preach to you. Do you have life? Do you know life? Life is a man. His name is Jesus. He loves you. He wants to connect to you. Will you allow him? Will you allow him? Will you allow him? Will you let him? Will you let him in to give you the life? You live in death until you have him. Say it, say it, say you live in death until you have him. He who has the son has life. He who, has, he who does not have God's son does not have life. We need the life of God. We need life. We need life. We need life. We need life. Amen. Amen. When you begin to understand how the life of God works, you carry God's life into your community life. You carry God's life into your relationships. You carry God's life into your calling, into your ministry, into your vocation, into every sphere. The measurement of whether you have life is this. Who will miss you when you're gone? What did you impact? I'm not even talking about natural things. Who are your spiritual children? Who are the people you raised? Who are the people who connect to, you, to God through you? Who are the people you inspire? Who are the people who really miss how you are with God when you're gone? That's how you measure how much life you have. The more the people who miss you when you're gone. I choose my friends on this basis. How much love you have for God. And this is not about acts or works. This is how I choose my friends. If you take a look at the people who are closest to me, you'll find that they are lovers of God. Sometimes if you love God so much and you don't want to be my friend, I will force you to be my friend. I'll run after you. I'll chase you. Because I love lovers of God. In the end, that's all you leave behind. How much love for God you pour on the world. How many? So think about your life. If nobody knows you as at least at the basic level, providing inspiration to them. If nobody knows you as a, as an encourager. If nobody drinks of the well of your life. If you don't have proteges who you pour grace into. Some of you here are 30 years old. What's wrong with having an 18-year-old you constantly speak to? Who are the people you pour your life into? That's how life flows. The life which comes from God into you, you pour into others. The Bible says our fellowship is first with the Father and with one another. Who will miss you when you're gone? 
So Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 11 says, Whatever you're, you're trying to do with your hands, do it with all your might. For in Sheol, where you're going, there's no work, planning, or knowledge, or wisdom. The race is not to the swift, the battle to the strong. Neither is bread to the wise, or wealth to the intelligent. Or favor the skillful, rather, time and chance happens to all. Means opportunities. God provides opportunities for everyone. Every single person. There's not a person on earth that God doesn't give one kind of opportunity or the other. He asks you, what are you going to do with the opportunity he has provided for you? So, in summary, let's read these things that reflect life. Number one, love. Number two, healing the hurting. Number three, number four, number five, Number six. These are the ways to have life. Actually, this is actually a co-Atlantic city when it's built. It's what Lagos is supposed to look like. So we're hoping they're going to keep to the plan. It would be nice, right? But it's still not give life. When our best cities are built, I repeat, I said this last week, when every child goes to school, when you have a bed to sleep on, when every house has enough food to eat, when charities don't need to exist anymore because all the needs have been met, when all the roads are paved and the, and the GDP of the country goes to a place where everyone has $100,000 every month, then mankind will still be poor and in desperate need for the life of God. We've seen the richest countries in the world. Doesn't mean that they also have life. Life is a man. Do you know this man? He says, I am the life. I am the life. I am the life of the world. As we're doing life, we're doing God. Let's do God. Let's do God. Let's come out from doing all the things, fame, fortune. Let's come out from all of these things. And let's do God. If you want to do God today, just lift up your hands and say, God. Lift up your hands and say, God, I come to you. Say it. Say it with your heart. Stand up. Stand up on your feet. Say, God, I come to you. I give you my life again. I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to be your son on the earth. Use me, Lord. Lift up your hands and say, use me, Lord. I can't hear you guys. Man, you... Oh, God doesn't have quiet children. Can you lift up your voice and say, use me, Lord. Use me to make a difference in my world. Lift up your hands and say, I will serve you. I will follow you. Even when it's not convenient, I will give you my life. Take my life, oh God. Take it all, oh God. You can have it all, Lord God. You can have it, Lord. Take it, oh God. Thank you, Lord God. We give you our hearts. We give you our spirits. We give you our soul. We give you our mind, oh God. You can have it, oh Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
this heart that is now yours let's sing it again from the top you can have it all Lord every part of my world Oh God, oh God, take this life and breathe on. Sing it again. You can have it, oh Lord. You can have it, oh Lord. Every part of my world take this life and breathe on this heart that is now that is how yours place your hand on your heart make a pledge your own words your own words in your own way what do you want to say to God he came to tell you what life is many abide in death they don't know that they don't have any life at all that everything they set their eyes on that if they fall down today and die it will continue without you it will continue without them the most important things have been abandoned make a pledge today to go back to life to go back to breathing to go back to exhaling in God make a pledge today to renew yourself in life thank you Lord Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul I live for you alone Every breath that I take Every moment I'm awake Lord, I have you Lord, I have your way Sing it again Let's sing this hymn together.